Well, good morning. We are joining our voice with Christians all around the world who began this day saying, Hallelujah, He is risen. And our response is, He is risen indeed. Let's join also with Christians around the world as we begin our service today with the Lord's Prayer as our custom is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, why is Easter so important? You would think that like so many things in society during this crisis with the virus around the world, you would think we would just postpone or pause or set on hold this celebration of Easter and say, well, for the good of everyone, we need to just put this aside. And I understand the thinking that some people might have about that, but what you've got to understand is that Easter is the very core of this thing called Christianity. We're going to find out today that without Easter, Christianity is useless. Paul would even say, if there is no resurrection from the dead, our preaching is in vain and so is your faith. Now that's a pretty risky statement to say we're putting all of our eggs in one basket and if that basket has a hole in it, then it's the end of what we are. But we have confidence that Jesus not only lived, not only died, but that he was raised from the dead by the power of Almighty God. And I want to give you three reasons today why Easter is so important. Before we read our text, I want to tell you about a friend of mine. We'll call him Tom. That's not his real name, but we'll call him Tom. He was um, a Vietnam vet who had, after his discharge, basically become an, uh, a hippie in what remained of the 60s and early 70s. He was a unique character. Not only was he a vet and a hippie, going back, he was older than I was, going back, he was a beatnik in the 50s before hippies were ever even thought of. One of the most unique guys I'd ever known. I didn't know him deeply or profoundly, yet I suspect I probably knew him as well as anyone. I was a pastor at a church. I was there nearly five years. And he would come faithfully on Christmas and Easter, but only on Christmas and Easter. I would see him around town in a restaurant or in line at the bank, and we'd talk and we'd chat. And as I said, I considered him my friend, but he would only come to church on those two Sundays. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not a complaint. I know a lot of preachers on Easter and Christmas fuss at folks that have come on Easter and Christmas saying, where are you the rest of the year? But I was genuinely appreciative of people coming to church whenever they came. And I was genuinely mystified because 
in several in-depth conversations we had shared, he had a clear interest in Jesus. He had a clear interest in the eternal state of his soul. But he would only come those two Sundays. So I remember one Sunday after Easter, I just said, Tom, I said, we're friends. Just curious, bear with me. Why is it that you only come on these two Sundays? I'm not upset with you. I'm delighted to see you. But what's made you make this decision? And this was his response. Steve, I like you. And to be honest, I really like Jesus. He said, but the Jesus you present is very intimidating. He demands that I surrender everything to him and follow him and obey all of his teachings. He said, to be honest, I'm a little concerned that he may ask me to give up something I don't want to give up. He said, I don't want to write Jesus off as a possibility, but I come to him at Christmas because he's just a baby. And I come to him at Easter because he's nailed to a cross. You see, Stephen, Christmas Jesus is weak and Easter Jesus is tied up. And I feel that it's a little bit safer on those days to approach him. I couldn't tell if he was trying to be funny or if that was really the, the expression of his heart and his true feelings. I started thinking he wasn't the only one that's dealt with those types of conflicting emotions and feelings. In C.S. Lewis's wonderful series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Aslan appears in several of them, and my favorite is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is portrayed um, basically as a representative of Christ. What Aslan is in those fantasy novels by Lewis, Christ is in the real world. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, a character named Susan is trying to get her bearings on who is who in this land of Narnia. And and she said, who is Aslan? She, she felt a warmth in her heart when the name was spoken, but she had no idea who Aslan was. And Mr. Beaver said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And this was Mr. Beaver's response. Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. There's a later book in the series called The Horse and His Boy. And we see this same awareness and tension expressed by a very wise and perceptive talking horse. Then the character when, though shaking all over, gave a strange little neigh and trotted across to the lion to Aslan. Please, she said, you are so beautiful. And then not knowing what to say, looking at the majesty and the glory and the love and mercy of this lion, this is what the talking horse said. You may eat me if you'd like. I'd sooner be eaten by you than fed by anyone else. 
When you have seen the resurrected Lord, you understand this tension of awe and reverence, of majesty and beauty. And loved ones, I think what I'm trying to say today is this is the wise way to approach Easter with awe and with love. With a, with a terrified soul that realizes that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. But he is the same God who loves us with a love beyond human comprehension. Now, the message of Easter that we're going to discover today is so demanding that not only have unbelievers mocked it and trivialized it, but what we find is that even the church itself, in an attempt to make an unbelievable message believable, they've compromised it. And Easter in many circles, even Christian circles, has become little more than a fairy tale. A little sprinkling addition to the Easter bunny and Easter eggs. And I don't have any, bunny, any problems with the bunny and the eggs as long as it is to complement the real message and it doesn't overcome the real message. This is the way Paul described it to Timothy. He said, in the last days, and it's partly because of the majesty of the message, there would be people who named themselves as Christians, but he said they would have a form of godliness, but deny the power of the message. Today, the first thing I want to tell you is beware of a message that marginalizes the resurrection. Beware of a message that makes Jesus a trivial part of spring celebration. Listen to what Jude wrote in his letter. Beloved, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Here's his warning. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness, that means living any way they want, and deny our only master and Lord. When Paul had his final evening with the pastors and elders, the overseers from Ephesus, knowing that he would never see them again, this is what he said to those church leaders. Keep watch over yourselves, <coughs> excuse me, and over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he has bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard, Paul said. Remember that for three years I've never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now, with this rather lengthy introduction behind us, I want to read a part of the Easter story. And then I want us to understand the sobriety that comes from this message as we discuss why Easter is so important. I'll be reading from Luke 24 
And we're going to read 49 verses, so just settle in and let's listen to this beautiful story. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb preparing the spices, or excuse me, bringing the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men, who we know were angels, said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven disciples and to all the rest who had gathered. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home marveling at what had happened. And then there's another Easter story found in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place while they were talking and discussing Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem, unaware of the things which have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? Boy, I love it when Jesus asks a question. He's setting us up for something beautiful. And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who is a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he were going further uh, along without them. But they urged him saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. 
And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found together the eleven and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. He was showing his resurrected body that he was not a ghost or an apparition. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. All the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophet and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Loved ones, very briefly, I want to tell you there are three reasons, and they're not the only reasons, but there are three compelling reasons why Easter is so important. It's very important, more so than you might realize. Here's number one. Easter is important because it calls for the acceptance of Christ and His payment for our sins. The first thing Easter does is to teach us that Christ died according to the scriptures and that he was raised again according to the scriptures. There is only one way to approach the Father and it is through Jesus and the scriptural account of his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Easter is the day when though we may be tolerant and kind to all other people and all other faiths, Easter is the day when the church stands with faith and confidence and says, this is the way to the Father, the resurrected Jesus. And the resurrection is so important. Listen to what Paul taught the Corinthians about it. He's very blunt. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13 through 22, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. 
and your faith is useless. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But, he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through one man, that is Adam, the resurrection from the dead comes also through one man, Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You see, Easter is the place where other options are laid aside. Easter is the place where kindness prevails, but insistence rules that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now in Christianity, we all have all kinds of differences of opinion. You can go to different churches and have someone sprinkled You can for baptism. Someone else maybe have water poured over them. Others are, you know, total immersion. They're dunked in a tank. We may have differences over baptism. We may have differences over the, the complete meaning and dynamic of communion. We may have all kinds of differences, but every church that is a church of the living God has a commonality, a commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God who became a man He's not man who became God. He's God who became a man, fully God and fully man through the virgin birth. From that point, he lived a sinless life. You say, boy, it's hard to believe a virgin birth. You think that's a miracle. Try living 30 some odd years without sin. I have trouble going 30 minutes. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. He died for me. He died for you. And whosoever will may come. But he not only died that substitutionary death, he was raised from the dead. He ascended to the Father and we have the Father's approval of his sacrifice. He is what the King James calls the propitiation for our sins. That means the full satisfaction for our sins. And good news is that he's coming again. Now, I want you to know that not only do we believe the gospel, but we believe that the gospel is the only gospel. We believe John 14, 6, I referred to a moment ago. I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he uttered a sentence that leaves absolutely no wobble room. No one comes to the Father unless he comes by me. Please allow me to say something for those of you that may be visiting with us today. We are not haters of others. We are not intolerant of others. But from the earliest moment of Christianity, it set itself apart, not as higher than or holier than thou, but we were set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who said the way is narrow, the way to destruction is broad, 
the way to hell is, is manifold. But he said, there's a narrow path. And though there's only a few that find it, he said, whoever comes, I will never cast away. From the earliest moments, there was this distinction. From the earliest moments, the spirit of Easter was lived out every other day of the year in the church. In the days of the Roman Empire, after a while, it wasn't this way at the beginning, but after a while the church began to be crucified um, and, as their master was and began to be persecuted as their master was. And Rome wanted to make it easy for the Christians. So whenever you paid your taxes, you had to pay your tax take a pinch of incense, which was an act of worship, throw it into the fire, and all you had to do was just say something. You just had to say, Kaiser Kurios, or Caesar is Lord. You didn't have to mean it, you just had to say it. But from the earliest days, Christians, instead of saying Kaiser Kurios, said Christos Kurios, Christ is Lord. And they died by the thousands because they realized that the message of Easter, indeed the message of the gospel, is you come to Jesus on His terms. I, I think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus talked to him about the law, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said... Master, I've done all of these things from my youth. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. But Jesus knew that there was one hook that was still in him. He had lived his life thinking, I've done enough good to inherit the kingdom. So Jesus gave, a, gave him a command that he didn't give to everyone else. He said, take all of your riches, sell it, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the man, the scripture says, went away sad because he had great possessions. I've often thought if I were Jesus, I might have said, hey, 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 come back. Close enough. Close enough. You've done so well. But Jesus let him walk away. He let a man who said, I've done my best to keep the law all of my life walk away because Jesus was teaching us and teaching that rich young ruler that we only have access to God on his terms. Now, Easter calls for the acceptance of Christ and his message. The second thing is Easter is important because without Christ's resurrection, there's no hope. I know I just referred to that, but I want to emphasize it. It's not only that Easter says you've got to come this way. Paul and the early Christians are willing to put all of their eggs in one basket, if you please. They would never say, well, the resurrection doesn't matter. I've, I've, I know what it's like to have a professor that would say, well, it doesn't really matter if Jesus is born of a virgin. It doesn't really matter if Jesus was raised from the dead. What matters is that we believe it and that we understand the spirit of Jesus. And I had a professor say this. He says, whether Jesus was raised from the dead really doesn't matter. What matters is that you love Jesus and follow his teachings. But that's not the teaching of the apostles. That's not the teaching of the New Testament. Paul said, you have questions, the Corinthians did, 
about the resurrection? Let me tell you a little bit about the resurrection and let me tell you why you've got to settle this issue in your heart. We have entire churches and denominations that have left resurrection up for grabs. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, but this is how we're going to serve the Lord. Paul said, listen, if you can't wrap your head around the resurrection, now that doesn't mean you have to understand all the dynamics and mystery and glory of it, but if you are not able to embrace the truth of resurrection, this is what he said, your faith is in vain. He said, if it didn't happen, then all of these beatings I've received, all of these martyrs that have died, the death of Jesus, it's, Christ it's himself means nothing if he wasn't raised from the dead. So without the resurrection, there's no basis for hope. There's one more reason I want to bring to your attention, and it is this. Easter is important because it is the day, it's the time of the year. It's sort of like Christmas. It's the time of the year when society stops and gives faith an opportunity to make up its mind. A lot of times we can go through the year and treat Christianity like it's just a part of our life, like Rotary or Kiwanis or the JCs or whatever. But on Easter, we're reminded Christianity can't be a sliver of the pie of your life. Christianity is your life. It's not a portion of it. Everything that you do, every relationship that you have must come out of the center of your life, which is faith in the, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For the Emmaus disciples, for Thomas in another story, for Peter, John, for the women... They had to settle this question and just a few days later you have Peter and John declaring he's raised from the dead. We are his witnesses. We are his witnesses. And loved ones, Easter is the day when we have an opportunity to say I'm going to move out of the shadows of unbelief. I'm going to move out of the shadows of wondering and as I often say, the work of the Holy Spirit right now is to take your question mark and turn it into an exclamation point. Your questions become exclamations. Your doubts become faith. You say, well, I've tried and I just don't know if I can muster up that kind of faith. Can I, can I give you some relief? You can't. It's not something you can work up. It's not something you can develop. It's like the man that brought his demon-possessed boy to Jesus. And he said, Lord, can you please help me? Can you please do something for my child? And Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believes. And he was so honest, the father was. This is what he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the wonderful part of the story is that Jesus did exactly that. Our faith doesn't have to be perfect, but when we bring it to Him, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the one that's hovering near you right now, He has the ability to turn your questions into proclamations. He has the ability to do something supernatural in you and turn your doubt into faith. 
As I conclude this message, I want to speak to many of you. So many of you are listening. You may not even be a Christian. You may not know Jesus as Lord. I want to extend an invitation to you to come home. Come home. Sidlow Baxter said one time that the Bible is a book of faith. It requires faith. It can't be grasped just by the wisdom of the mind or the strength of the intellect. He said this, the Bible reveals enough to make our faith intelligent, but the Bible withholds enough to require our faith to grow. That's the way of the kingdom. And if you'll come to him and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, he will give you the witness of the Holy Spirit. All you have to do, and I'm not saying all because it's something cheap, but it's something magnificent where God takes the burden of this thing called conversion on himself. He draws you. He puts faith in your heart. And on this day, you can say, Lord, I believe that I am a sinner I believe that you are a Savior. And though I don't understand all the nuances of church membership and theology, today I give my life to Jesus. On Resurrection Day, I stand with those and say, I believe. Loved ones, that's all you need to do. And you will pass on the authority of God's Word. If that's the sincere cry of your heart, you will pass at this moment from death to life. Eternal life will not be something that you get one day. According to the Gospel of John, eternal life is something you have the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, I also realize there are probably plenty of people listening that you've had an upbringing in church or an experience with Christ, but it's become lackluster and cold and you're not living out what you professed at one time and you know it and others know it and you don't need me pointing my finger at you saying I know it. But you know that you've strayed. We call it backsliding. We call it walking away, wandering, letting your heart grow cold. And just as I invited unconverted friends to come home, I want to invite you to come back home. I want to invite you to stop trying to serve the Lord on your terms and come back to church, come back to the family. Now, there may be all kinds of responses. You may have disappointment today with the world around you like the men on the road to Emmaus. There was a story about Thomas that believed Jesus was Messiah, but then he lost all hope and said, I won't believe unless I can put my fingers in the nail holes. And he was caved into despair. It may be that you don't know what's going on, but you're doing your duty like the women at the tomb. They went to do what they needed to do, even though their faith was not fully developed. But I want to tell you whether you're coming to him today out of disappointment or despair or duty, there is a place you can find this Easter called the place of delight. Those who come to believe. The challenge I want to leave with you is this. What will you do with Jesus? Not the, not the Jesus who is a helpless babe or tied to a cross, as my friend Tom said. But what will you do with the resurrected Lord who stands before you today? What will you do with this challenge to faith? 
this is not a man that can be put on the shelf. His demand is not something you can ignore. You can't declare yourself unaffiliated. You've got to make a decision to accept him or to reject him. Oswald Sanders said something that I think about often, but especially every Easter Sunday. Years ago, he stood before his congregation in Toronto and did the unthinkable. He began to tear pages out of his Bible. <laughs> and as he tore those pages out, his congregation was aghast. Who would tear pages out of the Bible? But this is what Oswald Smith said. He said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, nothing in this book matters. And he just kept tearing pages out. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. This story doesn't matter. This parable doesn't matter. This miracle doesn't matter. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, nothing in this book matters. But, he said, if Jesus is raised from the dead, then nothing except this book matters. That's where we are today. What will you do with Jesus? Father, we ask in the strong and mighty name of the Lord that we would not just celebrate the resurrection, but help us to act upon the resurrection. Help us, Lord, to quit treating you as a friend on Facebook. Help us to quit treating you as somebody where a couple of times a year we tip the hat and say, you're my friend, you're all right, Jesus. But help us to understand what you said. He that comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and none of us can come to the Father but by him. Thank you so much. God will hear your prayer right where you are. And if you need help, if you want more information, please contact us at our website. We'd be glad to walk you through this concept of becoming a follower of Jesus. I love you. Happy Easter. He is risen indeed.